Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Yo, what's good, Ville Church families? Pastor Jay Harris here. I miss y'all like crazy. Can't wait to see your faces again. Um, meanwhile, we're going to keep moving forward, keep preaching the gospel, keep doing what we need to do. Pray that you and your families are doing well. Um, if you are new and you've never tuned in to one of our sermons, we are happy to have you with us this morning. And uh, we welcome you and pray that we are a blessing to you or your family this morning. So um, I'm going to jump straight in. We're in the middle of a series right now called The Rooted Series in the book of Colossians. We've been in this book for probably a couple months. And this week we are going to be in Colossians 3 verses um, 22 going into Colossians 4 um, verse 1. And so if you've been keeping up with the series, um, you'll notice we skipped over the sections because I was supposed to preach it and somebody else um, came in and preached um, and whatnot. So we're backtracking because we wanted to make sure we cover this. And it's a bit of a heavy topic because it kind of dances around. Um, um, in the ESV, it uses bond servants. Some places you'll use bond, bond servants interchange with slaves, um, slave or slavery in the Bible. And so, um, so it's a big topic and I really want us to be able to dig into it really, really well. So Colossians 3.22, if you have your books or if you, um, if you have your Bible or if you are following us online, um, you can pull that up, right? So let me read the text to you and then we'll get all we need deep into this thing. Colossians 3.22 says this, it says, Bond servants, obey in everything those that, who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the, the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. And then Colossians 4.1 says this, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master. And so um, let me give a little bit of context um, to this particular um, um, verse that we're reading right here. So we've traveled through Colossians. And so Paul is actually writing a letter to the church in Colossae, in a city called Colossae. And um, Colossae is right next to Laodicea. They are, they are flourishing and they're doing pretty well. They have like, you know, a lot of merchants. Um, their trade is, is, is flourishing and doing really good economically, right? If you read inside of Revelations, you'll see that um, where the churches are being confronted by God, Laodicea is the church where God says you are poor, pitiful, um, wretched, and blind, right? So he says that they actually can't see anymore, that they think they are actually good to go, but they're wretched. And so I take that to mean that um, besides just that being a spiritual condition for them, it's playing out inside of systems as well, systems inside of their, um, in, inside of their, their cities that um, oppress people, hurt people, um, and that are grinding some people up in the meat grinder of, you know, broken and oppressive systems, right? And so this is the city. This is who Paul is talking to. He's talking to Colossae, which is so close to Laodicea. Um, the same, I believe it was either a storm or a fire destroyed both cities historically because they were that close or whatever. So um, a lot of, lot of, lot of similarities as far as how they function and moved and so forth. But Paul is talking to the church in Colossae. So this text, when he is actually speaking to bond servants and he's speaking to masters, he is actually talking to people who are Christians who are living inside of this system. So 
He's not just making a general statement for everybody, even though the truth in it can be applied generally. He is speaking specifically. and He's saying for y'all who are Christians that you find yourself inside of this system as a bond servant. This is how you function in that system. Even though the system's sinful and the sinful is the, the system is broken, this is how you roll. For some of y'all who are masters who have come to the Lord and you are in the positions of authority and you lead with authority over other people and make decisions, decisions concerning them, this is how you're supposed to function as a Christian in the system. So he's help, trying to help them navigate their circumstances as Christians. And I think it's important to say also, a lot of times we hear, um, you know, the word slavery or different things like that. We always go to the narrative of what we know as a historical narrative in America. And I know for me, that's the first place that I go. It, 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 you have to take talk me off the cliff a little bit um, because, you know, there's trauma there. There's hurt there. Um, a lot of us have you know, either grandparents or great grandparents that some of them are still living and they actually um, suffered um, really brutal um, oppression um, from these systems and so it's not a it's not a thing that's like a story from yesteryear it, it actually touches us close and we have people that we love that we feel the pain of it um, or even when we are looking back at our, our um, you know the narrative of our family and our family tree we see where these things happen to us or whatever so as soon as you touch the topic there's a bit of hurt there or whatever right and so i just want to i want to acknowledge that because i know that to be the case um and so when we're talking about this text one of the things that happens with it is that people see the word slavery and they're like oh my god is god advocating for slavery for systems of slavery is paul saying that systems of slavery are okay is that what we're seeing inside of the bible and you know you look at this or whatever you can look back at you look at the history in America and you will see where there were people who pointed to the same text we're in today and they used it to be abusive to slaves. They used it to perpetuate a system of oppression, hatred, to um, to forcefully make people submit um, and, and, and to do a mental exercise of brainwashing and manipulating them at the expense of the glory of God and um, dehumanizing people made in the image of God. On the flip side of it, you had people who looked at this exact same text and it actually catapulted them into becoming abolitionists to fight against the systems of slavery. And so somebody's wrong and somebody's right there or whatever and we really need to get to the bottom of that and whatever so the question we have today is, is paul advocating for systems of slavery and the whole text is not about this particular idea paul is um is going to answer it in in and, and i'm well let me say this i'm going to exegete the text to help us understand what paul is actually saying but i will i believe that you will actually get what is actually going on here and find out that he's not advocating for systems of slavery. Um, on top of that, to just, the, you know, to, 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 to speak on behalf of God, um, slavery, the system of slavery is not a God-made system. That is a, these are systems um, of oppression that were born out of the sinfulness of mankind's heart. So a lot of times we're like, my God, this is this is crazy or whatever. But God is like, yeah, y'all are crazy. Like this is the sinning inside of our hearts. And even before we get we delve all the way through this text in Colossians three twenty two, you jump a couple verses up and you see Paul addressing um, husbands. Um, you know, he, he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Um, 
uh, children, obey your parents. Parents, you know, fathers, do not, um, do, do not, um, you know what I'm saying, pretty much um, do, don't be brutal to your children. And so there's a heart condition that Paul is going to be addressing as we go through this text. And so that heart is the sinfulness of mankind, the sinful heart that's inside of the husband that thinks that he can lord power over his wife and make her submit is the same heart that's inside of a slave master that wants to make people submit. It's the same heart that's inside of a father that doesn't want to love his children and see them grow, but wants to brutalize them into whatever they desire. So Paul is pretty much addressing symptoms of the heart. And I'm spilling all the beans before I even get in the text. So let's go ahead and move forward in the text, right? Let's go ahead and move into the text or whatever. I want to exercise that out and, and whatnot because, you know, the connotation of the word slave is, is, is repulsive and negative due to our historical interaction with the word. And, uh, and I just want y'all to know as I'm talking about this, I'm going to be hitting, um, I'm going to be hitting um, slavery in, in its most repulsive form. And I'm going to be hitting it from the sense of a bond servant form because historically you also had situations where people would take them you know they didn't have government um, help or assistance so if their family was struggling they could go to a neighbor and say hey we need you to help us out whatever we'll we'll, we'll put ourselves up as bond servants or to work as slaves for you um, and you take care of our family feed us and and so forth and and provide for us and sometimes they would even set time limits on it we'll do this for you for seven years and then we're released to go our way or whatever so you have situations like that, which are very similar for us in, in, in our modern day society when we look at jobs. Some jobs we negotiate and we say, hey, listen, I'll give you this many hours a week. If you pay me this much, I'll be there every day besides weekends and you give me two weeks off a year, something like that. So we're in, in a lot of, in, we're, we're, we're entering into something that we don't, from a term standpoint, call, um, called bond servant, but it's very much similar to a bond servant. So that idea of what slavery is in bond servant has a sliding um, systematic idea that I want us to be aware of as we talk about this, right? So first part of this thing, once again, I'm gonna read it to you. Bond servants obey in everything those um, who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance of your reward. So I want to unpack this first part of it. Who is he talking to? He's talking to bond servants. And he says, obey in everything those who are your earthly ma uh, masters, not by way of eye service. So don't do it with a heart that's like, you know, man, like, man, forget these people, whatever that case is, or, or as a people pleaser. But he's saying, do it with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. What he is trying to get you to see right here is that when you find yourself in an oppressive situation, everybody can't be a hero and, and destroy a system of oppression or even get themselves out of a system of oppression. So he's basically saying, if you find yourself in a system of oppression, whatever you do, do it unto God. Don't be a slave to mankind. Be a slave to the will of God. And when he talks about the fear of the Lord here, this is a very important part because fear of the Lord, we see that term inside of the Bible. It's a awe. It's a reverence. A reverence. It's a respect, right? And so, you know, 
many people see their circumstances as bigger than God rather than God as Lord over their circumstances, right? So I have a fear of heights. I do have a fear of heights. I have a healthy respect for the, the, the edge of a cliff, for the ledge of a cliff. You understand what I'm saying? I respect that if I cross a certain line, it's not going to go well for me or whatever, right? It's not the cliff's fault. It just is what it actually is. So I respect the height of whatever circumstance I'm in. I'm like, I'm good 10 feet over here or whatever, right? And so very similar is the way it works with God. When we, when we look at God and we deal with God, when we have fear of God, we have respect. It means that we have a credibility that his way is the best way and that obedience to him is actually the worst way, right? So we often say like, God is good, but like he's good in the promised land to us, but is he good to us when we're in the desert? Can we say God is good all the time and mean it? Because if we say all the time, it means that we, he is good when we in the desert and he's good when we in the promised land, you know, eating grapes like a king doing our thing or whatever. So is God only good when we're inside of the promised land? But we're not all in the promised land. That is not the story for many Christians around the world today. They find themselves inside of broken, oppressive, brutal systems. And some of them came to the Lord while they were in it. And so Paul is giving them a prescription for how to, um, how to experience God, grow in the Lord, even in the midst of that system, and to not be a slave of their oppressor, but to be a slave of God, to, 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 to not be completely victimized within that system. And true indeed, they are victims, but God promises that everybody. It's what he tells us in the end of the scripture. He says that masters, treat your bond service justly and fairly, knowing that you are also, that you also have a master, right? But he says right before that, he says, wrongdoer will be the wrongdoers will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there's no partiality so we aren't in the circumstances without somebody who is advocating for us or somebody who is going to bring justice to every single wrong lest those that brutalize us repent so god is like i got this i got this meanwhile while you're in this situation keep your eyes on the prize and i'm your prize keep your eyes on me. So this fear of the Lord means that we believe that disobedience is the worst way. It means that it's like when I tell my kids sometimes, I'm like, hey, listen, don't walk behind the car when I'm getting the rest of your other 21 kid brothers and sisters out of the car because you could get hit by a car. I expect for them to have reverence for the words that I say, even though they may not get what I'm actually saying, but that they have reverence and respect because I'm trying to make sure their path is safe. And God is like, I'm going to order your steps and I'm going to direct your path, but I need you to trust me and follow me. If you stay on this path, I will show you beautiful things. You will experience me. You will grow in the Lord. I will I will cause you to flourish, even if it's within the system or if I just take you out of it because God can do anything. I'm not by any means telling you to not be hopeful right there's another scripture um just to just just to jump to the side real quick in first corinthians 7 19 paul tells slaves he says listen he says if you are a bond servant when you're called to the lord don't be concerned about it but then he says but if you can gain your freedom get free avail yourself of the opportunity if you can get free Take the opportunity to get free. So Paul is not advocating for people to not have hopes, to have, not have dreams beyond their circumstances. He is saying, while you're in it, 
this is how you walk with the Lord. This is going to help you actually make it through. It's very similar to like when I have friends like, you know, that have had to go to jail and serve a bid because of things they've done and it's time to go pay up. When they get ready to leave, I give them a hug. I say, homie, I love you. I'm praying for you. I'll be writing you letters. I'll be sending you scriptures, all of that stuff. But homie, hold your head. What am I telling them? I'm telling them, bro, listen. Hold your head while you need to keep your head up. Stay focused. Come out on the other side of this. Do your time. You know what I'm saying? Come out better than you went in. Hold on to God in the middle of the process. Don't let the circumstances completely crush you. But keep your eyes on something bigger, right? Keep your eyes on something bigger. And it's, this is very similar to what Paul is actually telling them. Do it because of the fear of the Lord, right? Don't be people pleasers. Don't be people pleasers. Don't function with flattery. Don't get into the games of all the stuff that your heart can do with you when you're inside of systems that are hurtful to you. He says, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, right? Obeying everything. Obey your masters, right? They're not telling you something that is going to violate your relationship with God or anything like that. Obey them. You're not stuck there for the rest of your life. So he says, obey them, right? I just want to give an example here, whatever. Some of you inside of my church have heard me tell this example before, but this was a huge moment in my life or whatever that I look back to all the time. And I think it helps us with some of the terminology we see inside the scripture as far as obeying um, and, and, and actually doing your work heartily and doing it for the Lord and not for men, right? So um, several years ago when me and my wife first got married, we were a young couple and my wife had to go work out of town for three years. And so, excuse me, not three years, sorry, three months. She had to go work out of town for three months and I was working. And so I ended up quitting my job so I could leave and go with her. We had just bought a new house. We were leaving our house. We we're leaving everybody and we we're going to be living on a base for three months. And I was there watching the kids. And so when we got back, you know, brother's pockets was hurting. Like we weren't doing really well. And, and, and you know, Lana was like, babe, you got to do something. So I came back, um, I went and got my CDL license and I started driving concrete trucks. And so I got hired onto a company. First day of work, I go to work, I'm all excited. I'm like, yo, we about to get this money. And I come home from work that day and Lana, I remember this like it was yesterday, she's in the kitchen and I walk in and she's all excited. I think she's doing the dishes or something. And she's like, hey babe, how was work today? I went straight to our bedroom, collapsed on the side of the bed and I was on the side of the bed crying like a baby. And she walked in the room. She said, my God, Jay, what happened? And what had happened was this guy that was, you know, who was, who was training me at the job, who was my master, you know what I mean? Um, this dude was the most disrespectful human being I had ever encountered in my life. Like, I swear to you, like, I knew how bad we needed the money, so I took it. Um, and I, but when I came home, I was on the bed and I looked at Lana and said, yo, listen, I told her what happened. I said, tomorrow, I got to go back. And I said, I'm going to go to work. As soon as I go into work, I'm breaking this guy's jaw. I, I know this is horrible or whatever, but I'm just telling you the truth. That's what I told her. And I was dead serious about it. And I said, there's going to be some repercussions, but we're just going to have to figure out how to manage through with the repercussions or whatever. We'll, we'll deal with it, what it is. We'll be good, babe. And she looked at me with this look of disappointment that I'll never forget. And she just said, um, she said, Jay, you can't do that. But then she kind of turned and walked out. She was just like very disappointed. And I could really see in her eyes that it was like one of those things like, you know, here you go again with that kind of stuff or whatever. And um, mind you, you know, just to give a little bit more details, I'm literally like probably on my 40th job 
at this point in my life, like my 40th job. And I, I knew what her facial expression meant and I stayed on my knees there and I was just on the side of bed and I was just kind of praying. And man, I felt like God just like, you know, did me in or whatever. And God was just like, you know, what I felt like God was saying to me in that time was that, yo, you run from everything. You have an excuse about what's wrong with everybody, every job. Yo, this whole job, the system we got going on is corrupt, it's foul, everything, whatever. Man, my bosses, whatever, they shysty and this. I always had a reason to run. These people were God to me. I never realized that God put me in these circumstances to actually grow me right to actually grow me as a child of God right it's like when you go inside of the weight room you go inside of the weight room you expect to go to grow based off of resistance and sometimes we give people too much credit like they're God or whatever and we're trying to cut their throats but God is like listen some I'm gonna use this to actually grow you and so I went back to that job and I'm gonna tell you the truth I cried often, you know what I'm saying? This isn't good for my street cred, but I literally cried often. And um, at the time, Lana had bought me this um, this Burgundy little electronic Bible. And so I could actually, I could actually type in, um, you know, like a word or whatever, whatever I felt, and it would pull up scriptures. And I remember one day I, I, I was about to jump out of the truck and hit this guy with the hammer. I know this is sounding kind of violent or whatever, but this is literally where I was at at the time or whatever. And I was about to jump out of the truck and I went to get out of the truck and I felt like God was like, sit your butt back down. I sat back down and I pulled up the word shame because the guy was mocking me about something um, and I didn't know him. And I just felt like he was other people around. I felt so foolish and hurt. And, and, and I pulled up shame and I started looking at the scripture and I just, during that season, I was there for a couple of years and I prayed and I asked God often, God, is this my life? Am I stuck here? Is this what it's going to be? And I was willing to roll if that's what it was going to be. But I was like, God, I, I, I needed him every single day to to even just make it through the day just i mean it was it was it was the hard one of the hardest seasons in my life and so i tell you that story because i learned obedience during that time i learned how to obey god god became bigger than to me than 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 all of the people than the bosses than everybody around and then all of the stuff i thought was shisey that was going on i realized that this was about me and my relationship with god like these people are going to have to deal with God on their own and for their own sin and for the way they do things. But for me, I'm going to have to deal with God and be accountable for me also. And God had called me to actually obey him and me being obe obedient to him played out to me being obedient to my leaders and whatever, even though I didn't feel them. And I thought that they were foul and all these other things, but I was not serving them. I was serving God. And long story short, I ended up, ended up, you know, giving the gospel to a lot of people there. I don't know what turned of it, but like I had opportunities to speak about the Lord um, and, and so many different things, but it changed my life. And, you know, one of the things about this, this the things, the story that I'm telling you right now is there's the obedience there. There's the fear of the Lord, right? Because I, I realized that there was no, all my ideas didn't work. I'm on job number 40. I got a family to feed. I have a family to feed, right? And, and so I just submitted to what God called me to do. And I felt during that time, he just wanted me to just listen to him. And it saved me so many times in life because there's a lot of things that 
I would have run from in my future. God was most definitely setting me up and, and, and training me and growing me for the future ahead of me because there's things I, I know for a fact I would have ran from in two seconds that I didn't run from because I also realized that God puts you in uncomfortable positions for his glory to grow you and he will take you through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what he tells us, right? So we, sometimes there's this naiveness. Sometimes that valley in the shadow of death is broken systems and, and things, whatever, where mankind's sin has made it hard to maneuver through. But God is like, I'm going to walk you through. I'm going to walk you through. And you're going to come out richer. You're going to come out bulked up or whatever. You're going to come out strong on the other side. You're going to come out closer to me. You're going to out, come out knowing my faithfulness to you, right? And so, but we see this in Jesus, right? Matthew 26, 38 through 40 shows us this. This is right before Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's, it says, then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. I'm not done with this text. I'm going to go to verse 39, but I want to make a point there because I don't want people to get the, get the idea that what I'm telling you is you need to just obey God. And that means that you are not being emotional, honest about the turmoil of the system you find yourself in. You can be honest. You need to go to God with your grief, with your hurts, with your concerns. Like I said, I went to God often concerned that this would be my life. But just like this next text, here's the thing. It says, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will we see jesus about to be brutalized brutalized by a corrupted evil system and evil people and he is not looking forward to it but he says nevertheless not as i will but as you will working that job was a gift of, from god for me god graced me for, for one of the first times in my life to finally say, not as I will, but as you will. Not because I was good, not because I was a wise Christian. I was ready to hit people with hammers and break jaws. I was foolish and I had a wretched sin, but God gave me a gift to let me experience his faithfulness and actually stop being about what I wanted and being about his will and trusting him to take care of me for once. Thank you, Jesus, for that. We also see this kind of faithfulness, this faithfulness of persevering and, and submitting to God's will in David and Saul's story. Um, I'll be quick with this, but most of the people know, like, you know, you had King David and then you had, you, you had David and Saul was king and Saul was jealous of David. David wasn't the king. David was his servant. David was his servant. David was devote, more devoted and, and, and loyal as they get. He was what you call a ride or die. Um, or, my, or as Master P uh, would say, a no-limit soldier. I thought I told you. You understand what I'm saying? David was down for the get-down. Like, there's a situation where um, Saul was hunting down David with an army. He's hunting down David with an army. And he Saul goes inside of a, a cave to use a bathroom. David creeps up on him and, and cuts a piece of his garment. Cuts a piece of his garment. 
saw these out the, out the cave. David walks out after me, said, yo, let me know exactly who you're hunting down, like who you chasing after, because it seems like you are out here to chase an enemy. And then he pulls up a piece of his garment like, bro, God already delivered me in your hands. I could have did an off with the head on you, and I didn't do it because I, I love you, I respect you, I honor you, and my devotion is to God. And so David's posture was, even though Saul was moving foul, he was in complete obedience to God. And that wasn't the first time it happened. It happened again after Saul apologized and said, you're right, David, you're a better man than me, bro, for real. You, God really did give me up to you and you didn't take, take my head off, man. I respect that. And then he pulled back with his troops. Then he comes out after David again and he's sleeping out. He's sleeping out with all his soldiers or whatever and stuff. They out hunting for David and they, they, they take a nap. David creeps up on him and takes Saul's spear. The next morning he wakes up like your homie. Who you out? Who you after again? I was up on you last night. I, I could have put your own spear through you. Like, who are you coming to chase after? And so, even in that narrative, you see where David had complete obedience to God, despite these circumstances where he is on the run. Even his own soldiers are like, David, what are you doing, man? Like, you look like a suck out here, man. Kill this dude and take the throne. And David's like, nah, I won't have it. What's the reward we see with David? What's the reward we see with David? We see that David and his faithfulness to God, his obedience to God, his fear of the Lord, his fear of the Lord that kept him from killing Saul. After Saul is gone, who takes the whole entire kingdom? David. David takes the kingdom. And so there's reward in our obedience. There's reward in our obedience. And that takes me into verse 24. It says, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. So Paul is urging the Christians of Colossae, right, to identify themselves in terms of their status in Christ, despite that they are in the scenario of being a bond servant. He's like saying, you are more than a bond servant. You are more than a slave. You are actually royalty in Christ. And right, you are actually an heir. And so he is, he is turning, telling them to thinking that, you know, in the terms of their status in Christ and consequently to consider their current status in society to be temporary. And so what do we mean when we say that? So when he says, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Like I said with David, there is fruit that comes out of your obedience that will happen in this lifetime. But there is also the eternal promise that we have as Christians. Second Corinthians four sixteen through 18 says it like this. It says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal promise. What God did through Jesus Christ, when he, by his mercy and grace, opened our eyes to our sins, caused us to repent and to follow, and we became heirs and we received this Holy Spirit as a stamp that we are his, there is an eternal promise that when we die, we will rule and reign with him. It says all tears will be wiped away. It says no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has waiting for us. He's a good, good God. So while we work, while we function in broken systems, 
while we go to jobs or whatever where our bosses attempt, attempt to trample over our royal status in, in heaven and in God's kingdom, but they try to treat us like peasants and they try to treat us like slaves. Paul is saying, work heartily unto the Lord despite them and know that the that knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward and then he ends that by saying you are serving the Lord Christ he puts an exclamation point you're not serving them you're serving the Lord Christ you're serving the Lord Christ verse 25 he says for the wrong door will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality there's no partiality. We see that there's no partiality because these warnings are for the slaves just as much as they are for the master. God, God, God is, is, is holding us all to this place where he is individually calling us to be obedient, to repent of our sins, and actually follow. And so masters are going to be held accountable for their sin. The sins that we know for this, for, for, for this country Historically, the, bru the brutal, ugly murder of people in this country, other countries, however you want to take it, wherever this has happened, wherever blood has been spilled, God doesn't miss anything. Every I will be dotted, every T will be crossed, and he will persecute, and he will release his wrath on those people if they do not repent. If they do not repent for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality so that is something also that while we work we also know but there's another part of this too god's mercy is also available for the wrongdoer even if you're completely repulsed by how wrong they are the fact of the matter is the bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god so the people that we feel are the most detestable in society God's mercy is actually that deep. It's actually that deep to actually save them, right? God doesn't save your grandma or whatever who maybe makes, you know, curses or gets mad every now and then or whatever, but to you, to you is pretty much a saint. He doesn't just save her. Her sin is just as wretched as the thief on the cross who got on the cross next to Jesus and said, Lord, I deserve to be up here. I am in my proper place receiving a just reward for the sin and works that I have done. God have mercy on me. And Jesus has mercy on me. God's mercy runs deep. It makes you uncomfortable. It makes you uncomfortable how deep it runs. It runs deep enough that it was even deep enough to say Paul, who was writing the text we are preaching out of right now, who once was actually persecuting God's people, killing, killing followers of Jesus, killing them, blood on his hands, and God's mercy, God's goodness, God's grace. He saves Paul, puts him on the team. So God's playing with a different deck of cards than the way we carnally process things. And it makes you uncomfortable. Because in my, in my, in my self-righteousness, there's some people I feel like, you know, we drag them outside and go ahead and stone them in the street. But I have to digress. Because if they get stoned, then I can be stoned. And God, I need your mercy. If the mercy is available for me, it's mercy is available for them. And so it makes us uncomfortable, but it's the gospel. In Colossians 4, 1 says this, it says, Masters, treat your bond servants 
justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master. And so once again, I bring you back into the context. Paul is talking to people who have um, come to the Lord while they're in the midst of a society and they are implanted it, implanted in that society and in certain circumstances. And some are bond servants, some are masters. Um, and Paul is telling them how to actually live and function in them. And so one of the questions for me as we begin to kind of land a plane on this is right here is that, um, is, you know, it's, okay, so I get what's being said there. He's not advocating for, for slavery, but is there, where do we see the framework of, 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 um, you know, slavery being abolished. Where do we see that at in the Bible? So I want to take you somewhere. I want to take you into a text to, to show you what that looks like, because this is where I believe the gospel really spills out for us, right? And it, and it brings me to a point as well also. When we talk about abolishing systems, when we talk about abolishing systems, I think what we have to understand is that God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is hostile. It is, it is, it is hostile, right? It is, it is hostile to broken, evil systems. It is hostile to slavery. It is actually more hostile than, than to most of us who feel that we find it detestable, right? Because when we look at it, when we look at this conversation we have in America about racism and different things or whatever, listen, a lot of the systems that were the most brutal are already gone. The problem is this, the systems are gone, but the evil that was in the hearts of people that perpetuated the systems still remains. That's why we are always in the conversation that we're in with people when we're trying to actually point them to their sin and they can't just seem to grasp it but they are perpetuating it. There's a heart issue. So the gospel doesn't look to just say, hey, stop the system because it doesn't stop the evil. The evil just takes on a brand new face, right? It may not drag you outside and try to hang you from a tree, but it may spit in your coffee when you go inside a Starbucks. It's the same hatred. The heart, the problem is a heart problem. So the gospel is needed to change people's heart. It's a heart issue. We must go to the great physician, God, for heart change, for heart surgery, right? So I'm going to read to you out of um, Philemon, right? There's a slave named Onesimus, right? And so um, basically context of the story is, of that, is that Onesimus was basically a slave of some brothers that I believe were um, Christians. And he, um, of, of, of Philemon, they were followers of God, but they actually had him as a slave. He runs away. He runs away and he goes to Paul. And I want to read to you what Paul says because I think what Paul shows us in this text is the way God actually abolishes slavery. He says this. He says, um, he says, no longer as a bond servant. He's speaking towards sin, he's speaking about sending Onesimus back. He says, um, he says, I send him back no longer as a bond servant, but more than a bond servant. As a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both into the flesh and in the Lord. 
So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. So Nisimus, and I wish I would have actually, I don't have the full text in front of me, that's why I started from no longer as a bondservant. But basically what's going on there is that um, Onesimus has come to Paul. Paul and him have grown in relationship, and Paul is telling them he is no longer a bondservant. He is your brother, and when you receive him, receive him as so. If whatever quarrel happened in the end, and you feel like he owes you some money, charge it to put it on me. I'll take the tab. You can put that tab on me. And so Paul is giving us an example of what it looks like to help bring somebody out of oppressive systems. The God that Paul serves, who is who 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 has given grace to Paul, right? But Jesus has given grace to Paul and now is giving that same grace through Paul to Onesimus, right? He's giving it to him. What God has given to Paul, because Paul was guilty, blood on his hands. The Bible says when you sin, there's going to be judgment. So where did that judgment go? Where did Paul pay up at? He didn't pay up. Jesus paid up. The wrath that was was that God had for Paul was put on Jesus. So now Paul is free and justified and clean in the Lord. And so Paul is now lavishing that same kind of love on Onesimus. He's removing the 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 framework for slave and and, and master. He's saying, "Nah, we we gonna rewrite this. It's not slave. It's not bond servant." It's brother. It's brother. The same way God, for Paul, rewrote murderer, killer. Nah, my son, child of God. Right? When we, when we grab a hold of these things, we move different. When we can taste his grace, when we understand his wrath, then we understand his goodness in a different way. It tastes, it's delicious. You get where I'm coming from? So Paul is, is, this is what it looks like to, to abolish systems, to confront it with the good news of the gospel so there's actually a heart change that takes place. And is it costly? Most definitely. Paul said, charge it to me. If he took something from you, charge it to me. Charge it to me. Charge it to me. So we see that the gospel is hostile towards slavery. The gospel is effective to replace our hateful and corrupted hearts with a new heart and our eternal destiny in his glory as opposed to an eternal separation from the Father. So I'm bring us to a close there. I pray that, um, that this speaks to some things. The conversation of slavery in the Bible and, the, and, the, and, the, and, and, and everything is way too broad for me to hit every iota and every point of it. Um, but I pray that this is, is enlightening for you. I pray that this idea of obedience and this worship of God in this oneness despite the circumstances. And that God is actually bigger than what people have on the table that are trying to, trying to sabotage you, trying to make you stumble. So I pray that you would know that about God. If you don't know the Lord... 
I pray that you would know that God has mercy and grace and, 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 and waiting for you, right? He has that waiting for you. I want to read something for you really quick. Um, I'll be typing all kind of notes. Y'all can, y'all give me one quick minute to find it. So when we look at the answer, right, we talked about the problem and when we look at the answer and, um, you know, we talked about Paul and, and, and we asked the question, like, is he advocating for slavery? And I believe we answered that. But this is, is one of the things, right? It, it says a complete changing of one's heart by the power of Jesus Christ is the answer. People need a Holy Spirit experience that brings their sin into the light exposes their sin they admit to it to being that ugly thing no one wants to be repenting to god first and foremost then receiving the gift of salvation afforded to us by jesus substitutionary death on the cross atoning for our sins justifying us before father god and granting us eternal an eternal inheritance with jesus and, Holy, and with Holy Spirit power to live a life of repentance that eradicates the hatred that fuels slavery in all forms and in the systems that power them. I wanted to close with saying that. I pray that you grab that. What we need is we need a change in the heart. The father, just like I mentioned in the previous text, the husband that wants to, wants to submit his wife by force and lord over her. He needs a Holy Spirit change in his heart. He doesn't need to just act better. He needs his heart change, right? The father who is brutal to his son. He doesn't just need to act better. He needs a heart change. So some people out here, you're like, I'm listening and I feel like I'm on the, I'm on the master side. Like I brutalize people. I, I actually like it. Um, I believe everybody should jump when I move. And, and, and you feel like God is like, making you aware of that, that that is actually sin? That it's sin to treat people like a slave? You're not alone. You're not no different than any of us. What I would pray for you right now is that you would repent. If you feel the Holy Spirit pulling on your heart, repent of your sin. Get on your knees in your home. Repent of your sin. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. And as you are um, as you are grasping the weightiness of your sin, understand that God has wrath for your sin. But also understand that that wrath was put on Jesus Christ for your behalf. So it's not that this is just free and that God is just going to give you grace and mercy and wipe away your sins. It's free for you, but it cost Jesus. Jesus had to die. He felt that wrath. He took that wrath. That's why I said substitutionary work of Jesus, atoning, paying the price for your sin so you could be justified. If you say that prayer and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will be justified. Not because you are good, not because you did something awesome, but because God is doing something inside of you right now and because his grace has landed on you today and it is the most richest gift that you could possibly have. And I pray that that is true for you. So I love you. We will see you next week. Love you, Ville Church. Peace. Pastor Jay Avis, Ville Church in the building.